Welcome to the podcast for WGTS Gateway Fellowship, a place that is about inspiring hope. You can learn more about us and hear more messages at mygatewayfellowship.com. We live in a world of love, but there's a lot more hate. It's interesting how we all think of ourselves as experts in love. You notice that? We all got opinions, deep-seated opinions about love. We feel we like we know what we're talking about. Just look at all our relationships and how well they've gone. But we know what we're talking about when it comes to love. I'm also struck by something else. That while we think we know so much about love, we've never seen so much hate in all the history of humanity up till now. In fact, we do believe that if somebody mess with me, I can mess back. You hurt me, I can hurt you back. You kill someone in my family, we're going to come and do somebody in your family. I grew up in L.A. I witnessed my first homicide when I was eight years old. I saw a gang member, a 16-year-old kid running, and there was two guys on, on the sidewalk running after him, and two of the guys in a car, you could hear the, the wheels squealing as they were keeping up. So that's four guys chasing this one kid. And when he ran by my car and I stuck my little head out the window, the look on that kid's face. I'm an eight-year-old child. They rounded the corner and all you heard was pop, 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 pop as they caught up to him and, and shot him. And I told my mom, Mommy, he's bleeding. We need to get Band-Aids. He's bleeding. A child has no solutions. The way you fix a bleed is with a Band-Aid. For me, the trauma of death has been around always. Throughout all my life, through my adult life, I continue to watch people die. I don't know why it's my fortune to be standing around when people die. Car wrecks, stabbings, shootings. Sometimes they've aimed guns at me, but I've learned to run. And you know, hate is much more entrenched than love is. And yet, we consider ourselves experts in love. On television, you see that somebody's getting his due. He killed a family of four. And they now roll him in for lethal injection. And somebody, you know, members of the family are there to watch it come down. And the the reporters will talk about it after the guy's been executed and the, the family and friends are outside. He didn't suffer enough. I was there. And when he turned to me and he mouthed the words, I'm sorry for what I done, I mouthed back, go to, you know, that other place that's really hot. And he should have died twice. And when you see the anger of the victims on television talking about the perpetrator who killed their loved ones, we want them to suffer. Hate for hate. Pain for pain. Hell for hell. That's the society we live in. We believe in justice. No, we don't. We believe in vengeance. Because justice in Scripture is the opposite of what we think. Now, what's fascinating is that political parties make this even blurrier because everybody uses Bible verses to support their vengeance. How in the world do you forgive an enemy? How do you forgive someone who hates your guts? If you ever want to learn what love is, 
Start by loving someone who hates you. I constantly preach about this. And even my opponents tell me, you speak incessantly of forgiving the unforgivable. And I said, you better deal with it. Because as long as this heart keeps beating, I'm going to talk about forgiving the unforgivable. Because until you learn to let go of the pain that it takes to hurt so bad to someone who deserves it so much more, how do we forgive those who have hurt us? How do we forgive those who have messed with us? How do we forgive those who have spoken evil against us falsely and some of them in the name of Jesus? How do we forgive those who have harmed the family? How in the world do you do what does not come naturally? Christians have wrestled with this forever, haven't we? Well, the Lord sent people into war. That's war. War is different. When one nation battles against another nation, that's no longer murder. Murder is when one human being plans on another. That's why if you take a prisoner during war, you can't kill him anymore. You can kill him as long as he was shooting at you. You shoot him back. But once he's disarmed and he's under your custody, prisoner of war, a new convention takes over. He is now an individual, not a nation. And that's why the, the, even people who don't know God understand these rules. We call them the Geneva Conventions now. And so how do you forgive the unforgivable? South Africa, during apartheid, there was this woman, you know, after apartheid came down, and Nelson Mandela, a product of the pain of apartheid who spent 28 years in prison for opposing the government harboring his own political views that were not sanctioned and many of the views probably that we would not agree with in democracy but they were his views and he went to prison for them year after year in a little cell he finally gets released and then he runs for president and he becomes president of this great nation and um he announced a policy of truth and reconciliation. What were the two things? First, truth. We're going to face the truth about ourselves. And then what? I, I didn't hear vengeance. Because he would have had mass executions had it been truth and justice. His policy was truth and reconciliation. And he asked Archbishop Desmond Tutu to chair the meetings, which were televised live. Who was on trial? White officers, commanders, and politicians who ordered the deaths of hundreds of thousands of black South Africans. And instead of going to court, they went to this tribunal that was televised live. And it felt like a court. Because there were witnesses brought against the accused and the, the victims were there. And what was stunning about it is that you saw cases you never even knew existed. A woman was put on the stand and a commandant still in uniform began to sweat in the, uh, the chair of the accused, the defendant's chair. This woman was brought up onto the, the witness stand and she was asked, what happened to you, madam? She says, well, my 16, 17-year-old son was protesting against the apartheid government on the streets of uh, Soweto. 
Those of you who've been to South Africa, I've been there a few times. I, the first place I wanted to go was Soweto. And uh, Soweto goes for 30 or 40 miles. I've never seen a ghetto so big in all my life. I'm from the neighborhood too. But my neighborhood is only 20 miles long. Still takes 40 minutes to drive through it in L.A. But I've never been through a neighborhood you drive for an hour and you're still driving through it. And at the edge of Soweto, you're finally at tin and cardboard huts. At the most impoverished part, impoverished part of Soweto. And then you come to a street, the first pavement you see, and glass skyscrapers rise. And it's downtown Johannesburg. Limousines and gorgeous vehicles. Then you turn this side and you see children playing in dirt and mud. You turn this side and folks in suits and dresses and drivers and helicopters and beautiful trees moving in the breeze. You're standing right on the line of what was black and white society. This poor woman says, my son was protesting against apartheid. And he began to throw rocks at the police cars. The vehicles all have these metal things and cut out so the driver could see through. And of course, the, the vehicles would move quickly and they'd spray water and tear gas and other things. But too many thousands of protesters would break out. And so the vehicles would finally leave, but they would take photos. And there were spies in the community that would give names to those photos. So she said, suddenly they came to her house. And they arrested her son in their presence, her husband in her presence. And right there in front of the house, while they stood there looking, they shot her son in the head. As his, little, his young body fell to the ground in the yard, they put a, a tire around his neck, filled up the gaps with gasoline and lit it to their horror. They watched their boy's body burn in their front yard. Commandant and the soldiers there forced them to watch the cremation of their son. Then they picked up the ashes and drove away. That was the kind of method they used to punish black protest. Well, one or two years later... She's in bed with her husband in the middle of the night asleep when suddenly you hear the doors being kicked in and again uniforms rush into the house, into the bedroom where they're asleep and flashlights are, are everywhere and suddenly they grab her husband and as he's screaming and protesting, they drag him away and she was never again to see him alive. Reports later came that they took him with another group of men and they were summarily executed on the edge of town and their bodies were burned. The questioner in the tribunal asked this poor woman, is that commandant here? Oh, it was one and the same man. It's this man. And she points to now the sweaty officer sitting there in the accused chair. This man ordered the death of my boy. This man took away my husband in the middle of the night. And everyone, and the cameras focus in on the perpetrator, and everyone looks at this uniform. And now the man realizes there's no place to go. 
So now Desmond Tutu asked the poor woman sitting on the stand, what should be done unto this man who has done this evil to your family? And she said three things, just three things. She turned to him and said, sir, number one, I want to know where my brother, my, my father, where my son and his father's ashes are so that I can give them proper burial. I know where the graves are. I can take you there. All right. I want to know so that I can give them proper burial. Number two, I'm a Christian. I forgive you. Now everyone's saying this poor woman is so traumatized, she can't think straight. See, right away you question her judgment. How could she forgive such outrage? But no. She says, I'm a Christian. I forgive you. And number three, I want you to come to my house once a week because you took the only two men I had in my life. I want to learn how to love you. Come to my home that I might learn how to love you. And the entire tribunal burst into tears. And throughout all of South Africa, people wept openly as they saw this woman in righteousness forgive the unforgivable. To look at the killer of the men in her life and say, I forgive you. Come to my house that I might learn how to love you. We talk a lot about love, but we struggle to show it. This woman invited the man to her home and guess what happened at that moment he was released he was officially exonerated after killing innocent people he was let go at the request of the victim we love to debate stuff in america and that's good because that's that's what makes our our democracy great don't we don't ever want to stop that I hate it when one party or the other takes over and we're not allowed to debate. No, no, we need to debate. We need to disagree. That's Americana. But don't throw love out of the mix. Let's not debate love out of what Jesus taught us. Dr. King once said, you cannot drive out darkness with darkness. You need light to do that. You cannot drive out hate With hate, you need love to do that. And no one understands love until somebody's messed with them. Now, the Lord said, if you just love those who love you, well, even sinners know how to do that. Yeah, yeah, we're boys. We hook up. We're friends. We, we, you know, I love him. He's my brother. You mess with him, I'll kill you. I all may feel good, but it's not love. If we only know how to love those who love us back, we haven't understood the power of love. Because love is when you love everybody, even those who hate your guts. I was driving through South Africa with a man who's obviously asked me not to use his name. He was a white special forces soldier in South Africa. And he says, I was one of those troops that would storm a house in the middle of the night and take away that husband 
never to be seen again by his family. I was in the extrication teams. Others would handle interrogation and killing. My job was to grab people or to do the business of the government in carrying out operations and what they called black ops, which means top secret missions where unmentionable things had to be done. I'm driving in the car with this man. We're on our way to Johannesburg from the Drakensberg Mountains. And I said to him, okay, you're going to level with me, man. Yes, sir, I'll level with you. Okay, you call me, sir, I like that. Now I can ask you anything. Now I had to take advantage. I said, I want to know why you did it. No, you must ask me how. Okay, how did this happen? He says, when we were trained... It, they, they, they reformed the mind. We were denied food. We were denied uh, rest. We, boot camp was truly the worst suffering of our lives. And during that time, we were taught that black people are not human. They're less than human. So you, you develop the mind that as long as they're not human, it doesn't matter what we do to them. That's how I was trained, he says. They are not human. And I said, oh, the literature shows this is how um, Hitler did it. He got to prove in his final solution that Jews are not human. So that's why millions of Jews were slaughtered. Nobody thought anything of it. Gypsies were not human. In fact, the Aryan race was so pure that nobody else was quite human enough unless they were pure. And so this method has been used often throughout the years. Ethnic cleansing in Bosnia just a few years ago in the 90s. Also the technique was used. They're not quite human. In the United States we use it now when we say illegal aliens. Alien is a being from outer space. And the psychology of it is if it's an illegal alien, they're not human. You do whatever you want to them. I know because I get pulled over all the time. And I'm asked for proof of citizenship. Even though I've worked for the President of the United States, I can be treated in certain ways once someone thinks I'm not quite human. It's really rough when you talk about love, isn't it? I love my country. And I love my fellow Americans. Even when they misunderstand my appearance. Isn't that weird? It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Mm -mm. So I said, what happens when apartheid came down in South Africa? He says, then Mandela did the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I said, I got to hear this, brother. I said, he said, because he integrated all special forces, equal number of black and white troops and coloreds. Those are the people who look like me. So it's black, white, and coloreds. Amen. We look forward to that in America, too. Now that we're the largest minority, black, white, and coloreds. <laughs> we're driving along, and I said, how did they get you to now work with black colleagues? He said, we were paired up with someone we've never met before. And this was also a highly trained soldier. So I met a black man that I had never met before who can shoot a gun as good as I could, who can hit a target and not miss just like me who can run up a mountain like a billy goat and not be tired when he was at the top. I was paired up with him. We were not allowed a jacket. It was during the winter. And we were sent out into the bush, out among the lions and the hyenas and the rhinoceros and all these animals. And we were not allowed a weapon. 
just the two of us, were to spend a month in the wild. That's it. And we were to survive the best we could. Well, I said, how did it go? He says, well, think of it. You see a pride of lions twitching their tails at you. That means you look like a pepperoni pizza to them. And they're hungry. So what are you going to do? You have no weapons. You can only rely on your partner to stay alive. He's telling me this as we're getting closer to Johannesburg. So I look at this stranger who I was trained to believe was not human. And now my life depends on him. And now he says, looks at me. This is the cause of death and pain in my whole life. And now my life depends on him. But the lions are twitching tails. There's no time to debate. We must stay alive. So we took sticks and we're using rocks to sharpen them. All right, if they come, then you do this and I do this. And we'll take the lioness up and flip her over. Maybe they'll eat her instead of us. And then at night, he says, it got cold. Especially if a drizzle was falling, they had to do a lean-to. And then a hyena comes. Hyenas are huge. Have you seen them? I had to watch more for hyenas than lions when I was out there. Hyenas are huge and they don't stop at anything and they will kill a pit bull a pit bull is a kitten to them and it was amazing the hyenas forced them to abandon their lean too and they were out in the rain there was only one way to keep warm was to hold each other and they sat out there (laughs) holding each other this was not what they were used to day after day survival And the only jacket they had was each other, holding each other physically, violating their personal space. He says, by the end of that month, this was my brother. And to this day, I cannot live without him. He is my brother. And and the black man said the same thing. This killer changed. He became my brother. And today, we both defend our nation he left the military and became a Christian then he became a psychologist a degree in psychology and therapy and then he became a pastor as well he's an ordained pastor and he says I've sought forgiveness of many people throughout the years since then you see the power of when you realize that we are all human remember we, we use that phrase you know we're just human to point out our faults. No, no, no. Human is our strength because humans are made in the image of God. If you're just human, then you're ready to be forgiven. If we're less than human, when we see a killer on television, oh, those guys are animals. The way they killed that little girl. You know, you know how we speak. Now we've lowered them. But they're still human. What they did was the worst evil known to humanity, but they are human. So one day... My own brother Jerry is murdered on the streets of Los Angeles. And we have to go up and tell my mother that night that we discovered it. Uh, He'd been buried for four months. No one told us. When we get to Northern California, it's dark, it's raining. And I come into the house. She says, son, you didn't tell me you were coming. And then my other brother comes in from uh, Oklahoma. Louis, you didn't tell me you were coming. Then my sister Martha comes in from Seattle. Martha, okay. And then Reuben walks in who lives nearby. Okay. You know, a mom can see right through her kids. She just saw us. Okay, what happened? And then she says, where's Jerry? 
the one missing brother. Mom, just at that moment, she knew what happened. Just right through her kids. We all gathered around her. We all started weeping. Mom, don't tell me he died. Yeah, he, he's gone, Mom. I want to see his body while well, he's already buried. Well, what are the police saying? They've already closed the case. Hey, well, no answers. And I'll never forget, as she was stroking our hair at the sudden loss of one of her children, she suddenly says calmly to us, there will be no acts of vengeance. We will not avenge the death of your brother. My son's death will not be undignified. And I was in shock. Because the rule of the street is, you hit us, you are in serious trouble. Because we're going to hit you harder. You took one of us, we'll take five of you. That's the rule of the street. One year when somebody messed with my little sister, my brother had called me. He says, oh, it's a dude about like this, right? His name is so-and-so? Yeah. Oh, we'll make it look like an accident. We'll... Like a robbery gone bad, and we'll, we'll take care of it. No, 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 no. No, man, we handle it. We'll ha- no, no. See, that's where I come from. But I've met Jesus Christ. And you know, I'm not a good man, but wow, is he a good God. And he lives right here, you see. And he taught me to love my enemies and to do good to them who despitefully use me. So I call my mother for Mother's Day. I said, Mom, how are you, Mom? And she says, Son, the Lord has given me a Mother's Day gift. And I expected her to say, Well, you know, my children, the mom thing for Mother's Day. And I just, I was, I thought I knew what she was going to say. So what's your Mother's Day present? And she says, Well, my Mother's Day gift from God is I forgive the men who killed my boy. And I invite you, son, to join me. Wait, wait, uh, wait, says her pastor's son. Uh, wait, 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 let me slow down. No. Let it go. Forgive them, son. Just so that you know, these two men forced my brother to beg for his life before they killed him. They took $300. My brother's life cost 300 lousy bucks. They threw his body behind a warehouse so it could decompose back there. Finally, the county of Los Angeles picked up the body and declared it indigent, you know, homeless, and buried the body without the family. We only discovered later. And these guys are proud of themselves that they got away with it. They will never repent nor apologize to the family. And my mama says, I forgive these boys so that I can pray for their souls, that they may meet Jesus and get to be saved as well. Where does that kind of love come from? From a mama's heart. And we're talking about a neighborhood heart. And I'm thinking of that police officer soldier in South Africa who now bonded with his black brother. It is possible when we realize that we are humans. Jesus summed up the law in two things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is very similar Love others the way you love yourself. So love, in this passage really quickly that's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love one for another. 
For love will cover a multitude of sins. Can love become that powerful in our life? I investigated my brother's death. I posed as an insurance investigator. I talked to all the witnesses. Everybody was there. Everybody saw it. But the street being what it is, no one saw anything. I talked to Detective, I have his name, in the glass house in downtown LA, the police officer who, the police detective who handled the case, and he just told me calmly to my face, I'm so sorry, but we have to close these cases as fast as we can because there's just too many of them. We can't keep up with the backload of thousands of them. And I'm saying, and then I said to him, what you're saying is because it happened here on the east side, that's, it's just too many, but had he been a white man over here in Hollywood or Beverly Hills on this side, no stone would have been left unturned. He says, exactly, I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Oh, forgive us. And You're right. And I said, well, that can be the system, but you need to know that love can cut through that. Love can cover a multitude of sins. And I told the police detective, I said, I want to investigate my brother's death, but not for vengeance just for healing so there I worked the streets I talked I finally came face to face with the two men who took my brother's life and I knew I would feel hurt I knew I would feel hate and anger and I prayed hard within my soul for God to perform a miracle and as I looked at them they were saying yeah man it was the easiest hit we ever done it was cheap it was clean and these were his own friends that's why he didn't see it coming But then I looked at one of them, a heroin addict, and I saw his carotid artery. I could see his heartbeat. Have you ever looked at someone like that? You could see their heartbeat. And at that moment, it hit me. He's human. He's not an animal. He took something precious from me. He's not an animal. Jesus died for them too. And a great weight was taken off my shoulders because it takes a lot to hate. It'll eat you alive like cancer. Hate can drive you into the ground with fury and make you lose your judgment. Hate can make you violent towards your own family because you got to take it out on somebody. And I just looked at his carotid army. I said, he's human. I couldn't tell them who I was because it would have been the worst for me. I better just keep my suit on and keep being Allstate Insurance. And I walked away and I began praying for these men. Well, one of them, because he had killed a couple other guys, the family caught up to him of the other guys. And he died a brutal death there in L.A. as well. But the second one, the one who actually snuffed out my brother. He was grabbed by another family and he survived the attempt to kill him. He lingered at the White Memorial Adventist Hospital in East L.A. But before I could find out about it, he died too. So both men are now gone. And I pray every day that somewhere, somehow, 
before they vanished into the dark that the hand of God reached their soul and they repented of their sins that's the kind of peace that passes all understanding love will conquer a multitude of sins if you hurt tonight if you hurt over work if you hurt over a relationship that's hurting or broken if you hurt in your own life about something if you hurt about somebody who's messed with your family or with you forgive for love can cover a multitude of sins you don't know how to do it neither do I I am not an expert I feel like that woman who looked at the commandant who had her son and husband killed come over to my house once a week so I can learn how to love you you know where that woman is now she lives with that commandant and his family she's now a member of the family greater love has no person than the one who can lay down their life for a friend that's the kind of love we're talking about like when Dr. King said we're going to march in an orderly fashion we will obey all traffic regulations we will sing and when confronted we will not resist we will allow ourselves to be beaten we will fill up the jail cells and there we will pray for those who hurt us we will pray and then he said some of us will die a physical death but our deaths will be redemptive others will be saved because of our loss that's love so today rather than a romantic sermon about love about how great love can be I decided it was time that we confront something don't harbor any hate no matter how justified you are don't hate those who hate you you'll be just like them don't just love those who love you you'll be just like them love the unlovely forgive the unforgivable let it go and find healing for your broken heart I'm just telling you what my family's been through I praise the Lord that Jesus can do anything and the miracle of forgiveness is one of the greatest miracles God wants you to experience forgive it alright I know what you're thinking I don't know even where to start forgive tell the Lord in prayer Lord I forgive but I don't know how to do it teach me Jesus how to forgive Lord, it's kind of like Lord I believe help thou my unbelief Lord I forgive help thou my inability to forgive Put it into the hands of God and be free of this cancer that you've been carrying around. This hurt, this pain, this fury against someone who earned every bit of it. Somebody who may never even apologize for what they did. Enjoy what the power of Jesus was as he was fading on the cross. As he was about to die of congestive heart failure. He turns to look at the men who beat him so savagely. Men who nailed him to this cross men whom he's about not to be able to see or hear because he's about to fade into death and before he dies he says father forgive them for they know not what they do that is love that is love when you forgive this week 
ask him for it. We're only human. We're made in the very image of God. Forgive your fellow humans of the evil they have done unto you. Let it go and find healing for your soul. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.